the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're learning especially what it means today, how to walk in humility and how to walk in submission. As we turn our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, we're also going to dismiss any of the youth that are here to go back out with Jose as they have their own message uh, through the book of James there. But we're in 1 Peter chapter 2 learning about the living hope and how to continue to endure, how to face suffering. And if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you've realized that what Peter is doing and how he's encouraging this church that is hopeless, how he's encouraging this, whole, this church that is discouraged now, he's encouraging them by reminding them of the hope of heaven. And he's telling them the attitude that they must remain, the attitude that they must keep, the attitude that we must keep is an attitude of humility and an attitude of submission. In fact, this next week and the week that we are approaching is a week that we will see a change in administration in our country. So I really believe that it's very timely that we go through this message this morning. Because here we're going to see what God's word tells us as to how to face now even moments like these. In the second chapter here of 1 Peter, he's telling them that he is encouraging them to continue to grow. To grow by desiring and craving the pure milk of the word of God. To continue to build as they are each living stones. That they're connected to the cornerstone Jesus. That the church or the presence of God is not simply in a building that we are the church. We are the living stones. We make up the church now. And he tells them to sacrifice as holy priesthood or to bring now a holy life before the Lord and offer them something that's pleasing to God. Then finally, as we studied on Wednesday night, he encourages the church in the moments that are most difficult to abstain from temptation and from sin. You know, it's oftentimes easy when we're going through trials and going through suffering and even going through difficult moments as the church was here in 1 Peter, which was persecution, to want to give up and to want to give in. Give in to temptation. But he says abstain from any type of temptation right now to rebel. Abstain from temptation to give in. Abstain from anything that is evil and submit to God. Now let's read here 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 11. We left off here and it says, Now, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain yourself from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's go ahead and pray one more time. Lord, we ask, That, Lord, as we approach the day of your visitation, that we would remember that we're a chosen generation, that we belong to you. You are our commander. You are the ultimate authority in our lives. And we know that our identity is not found in anything of this world, but it's found in you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And together we said, amen. amen. Now, notice here, he is speaking to the church, again, that is discouraged, and he tells them first and foremost, align your perspective to eternity. So he says, you're a chosen generation. Remember that. That's your identity. That you are a special people. You have a new life 
principle, and it's that you are God's special people. You're a chosen generation. Not only are you a chosen generation, you have a new access to God. And this is why he calls them a royal priesthood in verse 9. You have access direct to God. You're a chosen generation, but you also belong to a new government. (laughs) And what's the new government? The new government's called a holy nation. (laughs) That is the government that we ultimately belong to, a holy nation. God's church, God's special people. Do you know that oftentimes, even in the time and the season that we've been living in, we often can become too fanatical or too distracted with an earthly government that we, we forget that we have a heavenly citizenship. And it distracts us from following the attitudes and the character that God has for us. Because then after, after that, in verse 9, he says, you have, now you are his own special people. That means that you have a new owner. The flesh doesn't own you anymore. In fact, the spirit owns you now because you gave your life to the Lord. And if that is true today, then it's going to affect the way that you live. So he wants them now to know how are you, how can we live a holy life in a hostile world? That's where we left off on Wednesday. (laughs) How can you live a holy life in a hostile world? We are living in a hostile world right now. But what are we as a church called to do? What can we do right now as a church? Well, we're called to live holy lives. You know, I recently read a quote that stated this. There are times when God asks nothing of his children except silence, patience, and tears. I'm going to read that again. There are times when God asks nothing of his children except silence, patience, and tears. You know what is it that God is calling us as a children to do right now? To wait on him and to submit to him. Not to revolt, not to give a bad testimony or witness of what the church is. Especially in light of the current events that are taking place in our world. Specifically in our nation. Not that we would go and and try to turn things by our own strength and our own flesh. But he's, he's telling here, Peter, he's telling the church, you're being persecuted because of your faith. I want you to take... The humble way. I want you to take the way of holiness. And he says, you have to, number one, live a life that pleases God today. Today. Notice, it says, I I beg you, as sojourners, noticing that the earth is not your home. That this government is not the ultimate authority of our lives. That we should not depend on this institution or authority for an eternal security. Our safety is not found in an earthly administration. It's found on an eternal government, on, on an authority that is ultimate, and that is in the Lord. So he wants to change their perspective and says, remember, you are sojourners. You're just passing by as pilgrims. Abstain from anything or fleshly lust that war against your soul. What is that? The fleshly lust or indulgences? That your flesh wants that are coming against the joy and the peace and the love that God wants to give in your life. Abstain from anything that kills that. Crucify that in order to have an impact in this world. In fact, it says in verse 12, it says this, having your conduct honorable. Today, how should Christians live in their lives? An honorable conduct. Our lives today in a hostile environment should be so holy that we, we give an impact for this world. In fact, it says, be careful to live properly. Live properly today. But notice what it says there. Not only a conduct that's properly, 
but, or honorable, but it says here among Gentiles, or notice this, it says among unbelievers. Have your conduct be honorable and pleasing and right among people that don't know the Lord because it's your testimony. And it's the inward discipline of an outward testimony to those that don't know the Lord, the Gentiles. And notice here what it says, it continues to say in verse 12, it says that when they speak against you as evildoers, the world is looking at the church. And here specifically, they were accusing the church with false accusations during a heavy time of persecution and pressure against the church. It says when they try to come with false accusations against the church, they may by, notice this, your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, do you know what the world constantly is doing, even right now? They're constantly doing this ongoing examination of the church. Examining the church. They're falsely accusing the church of, in this moment, of rebelling against the government. So he says, you know what, submit to the Lord and live in a life that's honorable, very careful. So when the world looks at you and, and accuses you of rebelling against the government... They have nothing to say because of your character, because of your integrity, because of your actions, your, your behavior, your unimpeachable integrity, and they have no way of discrediting the church. Now you think about the Christians today, us as believers. When we become in the flesh, when we become emotional, the world, the unbeliever now has a way to discredit the church. And here he's saying during heavy time of persecution... Do not give anyone a reason to discredit the church. That's why our testimony is important. You know what the world is doing right now? They're looking at the church and they're, they're looking for a reaction. <laughs> they're looking for a reaction. But are you going to react or are you going to respond in humility? Because what you do right now, it's a very pivotal time. What you do right now is going to represent the bride of Christ. It will represent the bride of Christ. And we have to make sure that we give honor to the bride of Christ, the church. And we do not blemish her with a bad testimony and conduct and behavior, especially attitude. So it says that, that on the day of visitation when God redeems the whole world or, or when he judges the world as well, redeems the church and judges the world, the world will realize and fall to their knees and acknowledge who really Jesus Christ is because of the life of the unbeliever. So he's saying live in sanctification. Live in this process of becoming holy always. Keep yourself on check when it comes to living a holy life. And he's going to now change the tone and he's saying the way to do that is by submission. What's a practical way of living a life that's honorable? That your conduct is honorable? It's through submission. Submission. You see, as we submit to God, you know what we also do? Because we're submitting to God, we also submit to one another. When you're submitting to God, you're also submitting to the institutions of authority that he has ordained. So he's saying in order to live an honorable life, what are you called to do right now? You're called to have an attitude of submission as the church. It's so interesting to see how many times as the church we have wanted to now rebel or revolt or start even a revolution <laughs> against an institution Instead of displaying here what the first Peter church was going through. Just imagine, they're actually being now burned as torches around Rome by Caesar Nero. 
He's using their, bottle, their bodies as of wax to light up the city. Because they're Christians. And they're scattered from Jerusalem. They're running for their lives. They're discouraged. They're wondering whether or not they should still be Christians <laughs> after knowing the truth. With a man, Caesar Nero, that hates the Jews, that hates believers. And instead of Peter, instead of saying, you know what, revolt against Caesar, you know what he says? Submit against the government. <laughs> because they're going to see an attitude in you that was the same attitude that Jesus maintained. What's the attitude that Jesus maintained? When he was on the way to the cross on the Via Dolorosa, you know what he maintained? An attitude of silence. Isaiah 53 says, yet he opened not his mouth. You know what the church likes to do? Open their mouth. And we blemish the bride of Christ. Now notice here in verse 13 it says, Therefore submit yourselves. Submit means, now it speaks of a military term now, to arrange yourself under the commander. It's an attitude to live humble, submissive way in a hostile world. Don't live in a way that attracts attention to the flesh, Live in a way that attracts attention to the fruits of the Spirit. <laughs> right now, what this world needs is the fruit of the Spirit. So that they can be saved. That's why he says you're a chosen generation. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. You know what a, a church should be doing right now? Proclaiming the praises of him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. This is an opportunity for evangelism. <laughs> because of the darkness, that is the backdrop for evangelism today. And he says here, now he tells them, submit yourselves to every ordinance or every institution of man. Circle this in your Bible, for the Lord's sake. <laughs> for Christ's sake. For the Lord's sake. As a good representative of Christ, as unto the Lord. Not because you want to please man. Not because you want to follow the crowd. But because you want to obey the Lord. Knowing that he is the ultimate authority. Knowing that we submit now to the now governing authorities doing anything. Notice this. Please pay attention. Anything short of sin. We do it not wanting to become a church that is chaotic but submissive. Always standing for truth and righteousness. You see it's possible to stand for truth and righteousness and at the same time submit and live humbly. Oftentimes we think that it is impossible to be bold and humble at the same time. That is not impossible. He's asking them to do that here. Live a life that is bold and righteous, but also live a life that is humble now. So that God's honored for Christ's sake. Why? Because your citizenship is not here. You have a new birth certificate. And that's in heaven. You were born again. Remember that. Do not become so attached to the things of this world. And notice what he says. Arrange yourself under the authority of the commander. And he gives us examples now for the Lord's sake. Whether it's the king as supreme or to governor or as to those who are, here it is, sent by him. Who, sent by who? Established by God. Submit yourself, humble yourself. Whether to kings, which are the head of states or governors, which are officials or institutions. Submit because they are sent or set up. Notice this, sent or set up by God. Do you know that God has a plan? And if, you, if we, when we have the Bible here, you know what you know? That you know the, the end story of that plan. 
And the plan is that one day God's going to redeem his church through the rapture. But as we study end times, you know that he not only has sent this institution, he also has set up those he wants in authority. Because so happens to go with his plan. <laughs> what is his plan? That one day he's going to redeem his church. Now, let's keep reading here. Submit. But how does he say submit? Submit because they're sent by the Lord. Submit with a willing heart now. And this is radical in light of the persecution. Why would he ever ask him that? In fact, he says here now that their role here, it says, for the, it says they're sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. What's their role? To punish the evil and to praise and honor those who do good. Now, do we see that today? Oftentimes we see that those roles have been mixed up. <laughs> but that is the reason why the Lord has established governing authorities. He's telling them, in fact, don't revolt but submit. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Do you remember, therefore, I exhort you, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all those who are in authority, that they may lead a quiet life, peaceable life, in godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now I want to encourage you to go to that verse and obey that verse, not when that person that you favor is in authority, but also when that person that we possibly don't favor or favor us <laughs> is in authority. What does the word of God tell us? The ultimate authority to pray. Pray. In fact, let's go to 1 Peter here, chapter 2 again. In verse 15 it says, for this is the will of God. Now this is not my opinion. <laughs> this is not what this, this, this church simply teaches. This is the word of God. And this is the will of God. And, and it, notice what the will of God is. It, it's the, the will of God is about submission always. It's about obedience. And it says this, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That by doing this, you may put all the foolish talking and foolish accusations because of the way you live, because of your civil obedience. Notice this, in a world of civil unrest... You may put to silence now everything that foolish people talk about. When it says put to silence because of your behavior or conduct or integrity, you know what it's talking about? It, it means that you almost, your behavior puts a muzzle on to, uh, 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 before the mouth now of ignorant and foolish people that accuse you or bring an accusation against you. You know what he's saying? Let your actions speak instead of your words. Avoid now, the condemnation so that you can win the commendation. Win the commendation. What is that? It's done through your life. We see that even the word of God tells us to abstain from all appearances of evil. Are we abstaining from all, all the appearances of evil? Some people will never read the Bible. The unbeliever, the Gentile, as he speaks of him right here, will never read the Bible, but they will read your life. What does your life say? This is the will of God. Circle that. What is the will of God? Your obedience. You know what happens when we forget verses like this? The church becomes proudful. <laughs> and we become arrogant. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. This last year we've seen a lot of arrogance. And what is the, the word calling us to do right here? What is he? I mean, they were facing a difficult time, a more difficult th than we have ever experienced. <laughs> and he says now, use your liberty. Notice, look, as free. Now, for this is the will of God, 
that you may put to silence as free now, knowing that you are free, but don't use your liberty as a cloak or vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. It's directly from the word of God. Now you have freedom. You would say, well, I don't feel that I'm free. <laughs> what, is he, what kind of freedom is he talking about? Your freedom in Christ. You are free in Christ, yes, but don't use anything in your freedom as a license or a cloak or as a reason, excuse now, to do evil. To do evil. We should submit all our actions to God. Submit your actions to God because he's your master, right? In Romans chapter 6, Paul tells the church, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are under the law, but under grace. You're not under the law, you're under grace. Don't let sin control you, right? Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul tells the church of Galatians, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Galatians 5, then verse 13. Paul tells the church, again, about their Christian liberties. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Paul tells the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. I must mention this one. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Do you see how he's teaching them to walk in humility? How are you using your Christian liberties today? We're free. We're free from this world. Don't put yourself back into bondage. You know what the best examples were? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Living in Babylon, but Babylon never affected them. <laughs> they stood for righteousness. Did they find themselves in the furnace? Yes, but God was with them there. But they lived and they walked a life of humility. And guess what? God honored that. God, that's what God honors. God doesn't honor pride. God honors humility. And notice how we go in here in verse 17. Honor all people. Respect everyone. Highly esteem people. Love the brotherhood. This is what he's telling them. Love the church. Fear God. Fear his sovereign authority. And respect the king or earthly authority. He's talking about unity that comes by love and respect. Don't revolt. Don't come into a time of anarchy <laughs> where anarchy is pr promoted. Live appropriately in the middle of a time of tension. Do you believe we're living in a time of tension? Yes, we are. And these people were living in a time of tension as well. They're being thrown into prison for being believers. It says this, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters. Talking about submission again. Not only to a national, political, but also more personal now level and capacity. Be submissive to your masters with all fear, with all, not some fear, with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. <laughs> Have you ever had someone that is, has responsibility over you? And oftentimes those that are gentle, it's easy to submit to their leadership. But also those that you don't see eye to eye or you don't agree with, it's a little bit difficult now to submit to. What is he saying here? That you also now submit to those with fear or do what they tell you in essence. Notice what it says here. Not only to the good and the gentle, not only when it's reasonable, 
but also to the harsh. <laughs> As you face challenges from here, the political and social institutions involving, notice this, unfair treatment. The church right here that he's writing to was now facing unfair treatment. And he's saying it's not so much even about the person, notice this, it's about you showing submission to that place and that position now. That's why in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, And whatever you do, do heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive a reward and an inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what happens when you get an attitude of rebellion? You know what it does? It makes your heart hard. And then God can't speak to you. It makes your heart hard. That's why God has to continue to do a hard work in the church. The church is not supposed to look like the world. The church is supposed to look like the bride of Christ. <laughs> like the fruits of the spirit. And it says this in verse 19, for this is commendable. God loves this. He's pleased in this now. If because of conscience toward God or because of your convictions towards the Lord. Because of your Christian standards now. now notice this. One endures grief, suffering, and wrong, wrongfully. Are you serious? <laughs> God is pleased that if for a good cause, if for Christian convictions, if for a Christian standard, God is pleased. If it's for that reason that me and you endure suffering that is unjust, it pleases God. Because it's good for a good reason. It's for the cause of Christ. Isn't that amazing? You can live for the cause of Christ. And it pleases God even when we endure and we patiently endure suffering that is wrongfully, that is unfair. If we patiently endure for it, if it's to do with the cause of Christ. Now notice verse 20. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults if you take it patiently? What value is it if you're getting now treated in a form but it's because you deserve it. <laughs> it is of no value there when you're beating for your faults and then you're taking it patiently. There's no credit. There's no advantage for suffering rightly now or justly. And he's saying that in verse 20 now. But when you do good and you suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Would you underline that verse in your Bible? It's a verse that's hard for us to receive. <laughs> It's a verse that's hard for us to live. But if you do good and suffer unjustly, this is pleasing to God. Why? It brings great reward. It brings great con uh, commendation. It brings great compensation from the Lord. This is, he's teaching us how to endure and persevere in the face of suffering. What did Jesus say? Blessed are those who are persecuted for what? For righteousness' sake. I think about our brothers and sisters in the underground church in China. And how they know the Lord so personally. You know why they know the Lord so personally? Because they get to meet him in the suffering. They get to meet him in the suffering. We have been so conditioned to comfort that anything that makes us uncomfortable, we rebel against. <laughs> because we want the comfort. But the Christian life, I want you to know this, especially in the last days, the Christian or the last days church is not going to be a comfortable church. <laughs> it's going to be like the church we're reading about right now. 
Notice the example that Jesus left us in verse 21. For this, is, for this you were called. This is your calling. This is your calling to suffer, <laughs> to endure suffering for Christ's sake. You were called to serve God faithfully, and he left you an example, and it's calling over comfort. Now notice what he says this, for this you were called because Christ also suffered for us. He left us an example now. He taught us we ought to be learners of Jesus and to trace his life. Notice like a little kid that just traces on that line. We ought to trace his life when it comes to suffering. What did Jesus do? Well, he went this way. Well, he did this. He, he, he behaved in this direction. And what did he do? It was patience in suffering. You should follow his steps. Notice, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. You know what Jesus did? He gave us a model of endurance in unjust suffering. That's why when it comes to suffering, we shouldn't follow the world's way and react. We should follow God's way and how he responds, Jesus. Follow that model of, of endurance when it's unjust now. Because when we think about submission, when you want to submit, notice this. Submission or terms with God, notice this, terms with God, they're on his terms, not your terms. Oftentimes we want to have a relation with God on our terms. <laughs> and submission is, is on his terms. So we ought to observe how God handled now punishment unjustly. And this gives us insight on how we also have to endure trials. And it teaches us how to suffer. Notice what it says. Because this is so challenging for us. It's so convicting for us. It says, who committed no sin. Number one, he was innocent. He was blameless now. What did Jesus say? If anyone desires to come after me, pick up his cross, deny himself and follow me. And notice what he says. He never deceived anyone. Verse 22, he continues and it says, Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. He didn't lie. He was truthful. He had integrity. But notice what he did in verse 23, who when he was reviled, when he was insulted, he did not revile in return. What did he not do? He did not retaliate when he was insulted. Notice that he continues, he says, He did not threaten but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. He didn't threaten. What did Jesus do when he was being now reviled? When he was being offended? When he was being spat? When he was being beaten? You know what he did? He committed himself to God. Why? Because God judges righteously and God will not fail us. What do we have to do today? We have to commit ourselves to the Lord. Commit yourself to the Lord. Why? Because he judges the right way. No, no, no one else is going to judge the way God is going to judge. Everyone is held ultimately to the Lord. And this is what he's saying. In fact, verse 24, it says, Who himself bore our sin in his own body on a tree, that we having died to sin might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. He went all the way to the cross in submission for you and for me. He bore your sin. He paid the price for our sins. He bore the sin of the cross. He was our substitute for the judgment of our sin. So that we can die to our sin now and live for what is right, live for what pleases God. Notice this, and by his stripes we receive healing. Well, what kind of healing is it talking about? Spiritual healing. Our souls can receive this healing because of his suffering. And we can have a new life because of the suffering of Christ. Now it's not only a healing, a spiritual one. But there's also a physical healing. Notice this. The aspect of our physical healing, oftentimes, of the physical healing, oftentimes is received now in this life, but ultimately 
the healing of our physical bodies is received in heaven. What does the Bible say? That we're going to have new bodies in heaven. <laughs> we're going to be healed. Why? Because by his stripes and by his wounds at the cross, we've received eternal life and forgiveness of our sins. We can be healed. We can be restored by the suffering of Jesus for us. Does this make sense? Now notice verse 25. Why do we need this? We need this. Don't say you didn't need this. We needed him to suffer for us. We needed Christ to suffer for us, for you were like sheep. You know what sheep do? They wander. You know what sheep do? They think they know their own way. In fact, it says you were like sheep going astray or drifting, wandering, thinking you knew your own way. But now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. This is awesome. We have returned after wandering to Jesus the shepherd, but also the overseer. That word overseer means the guardian. It means the protector. We return to him, the guardian, the protector. In fact, the word overseer, it's a, it's a word that is used, or the original Greek word is eposkopos, which means overseer. An overseer now of your soul. Who is that? Jesus he is our overseer. He is our protector. He is our guardian. And we needed that because we're now drifting away. He watches over us. But what is it that the message that he's trying to give us here in uh, here this chapter? The message that he's looking to give us is that when we are fully submitted to God, then we are fully submitted to our brethren. We're fully submitted in our attitude. And we are fully submitted in humility. And why submission? Because submission is about the will of God. And I pray that none of us here want to be anywhere else but the will of God. You know what submission means? Submission allows you to enter the will of God. What did Jesus say at the garden? He said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And what is the, the will of God is about two things. It's about obedience. And the will of God is number two about surrender. Obedience is, and the safest place to be in, the safest place we, any of us can be is in the will of God. And you know what happens in the will of God? You say, Lord, in the will of God, I'm not going to refuse anything to you. I'm not going to refuse anything to you. Whatever you want in your will, I'm going to give it to you. I love what D.L. Moody said. He said, let God have your life. Let God have your life. Notice this. He can do more with it than you can. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. Can we pray? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We ask so that we would be able to submit to you right now. We ask so that you'd be, he would be able to, Lord, please you in everything that we do. We thank you, Jesus, because your grace is sufficient today, just like it was yesterday. Your grace is sufficient 2021, just like it was 2020. And I pray, Lord, that when it comes to suffering, whether it's justly or unjustly, that we wouldn't use the world's pattern of how to suffer, we would use your pattern. That we would carry the cross. We can't be Christians if we're not carrying the cross. So now we pray, Lord, that we would carry the cross and be Christians by obedience by surrender. In Jesus' name, amen.